Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. Hey guys, happy Mother's Day to the mamas. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms, wherever they are. I'm going to give a little bit of a history of Mother's Day that maybe you didn't know, because I just learned it this week, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, You guys like my highlight, my neon orange? (laughs) Oh, thanks. A couple years ago, actually, it wasn't even, it was not that long ago, I felt like the Lord whispered to me at one point, um, your new name is Vibrant. So I went, okay. I think I should start wearing more vibrant colors and try to understand what that means. Um, Let's talk about Mother's Day for a hot second. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Julia Ward Howe. Have you? Yeah. Our historian's in the house. Here's a picture of her. Uh, uh, Mid-1800s, Julia Ward Howe was a suffragette an abolitionist and Christ-following activist, and she was a poet. And she's most known for writing this little song you've probably heard of called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Little ditty. But interestingly, um, yeah, you guys ever read the Atlantic Atlantic Monthly? Do you read that now? So way back in 1857, she published uh, an essay in The Atlantic. It's a pretty old publication. And it was called, um, actually, The Battle Hymn of the Republic was published in The Atlantic Monthly, but she also published this thing called A Mother's Day Proclamation. And this is kind of the earliest origins that we know of in the Western world of what's come to be Mother's Day. And in that proclamation, she basically was writing to women around the world to resist violence and to non-violently and in, in an activist spirit of justice to live for peace. And she was calling specifically on the mothers to do this. And I think there's something to this that um, connects to the passage today. So her, um, her call in that Mother's Day proclamation, she said... Arise then, Christian women of this day. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. And so she's appealing to all women, and in particular mothers across the earth, who have experienced the pain of suffering, of holding other people in their hearts. And she's paving the way for what we have today of Mother's Day which I think is very cool. I learned about this through um, Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert's little posse. They have this thing called the Compassion Collective Project, and they're raising money uh, worldwide to benefit um, unaccompanied minor, unaccompanied children refugees, of which there's like tens of thousands who are showing up in, in mostly in Europe at, at the borders uh, from war-torn Syria and other countries. And she's also raising money for American homeless youth. So our own American-born children that have no homes. 
And uh, I think it's a really beautiful thing. They, they, they're coining this, this phrase. I don't think they actually wrote it, but this phrase that there's no such thing as other people's children. And I think that's really beautiful. We're trying to, as a community, as a Basilea community, embody that in our work with uh, Covenant House, which is right around the corner from us. And um, Covenant House has a mission to uh, take care of young people ages 18 to 23 or 24 who have um, been kicked out of their house. Many of them are runaways from abusive households. Many of them have been kicked out of their house because they identify as queer. Many of them just come from really, really rough situations and um, have placed out of the foster care system. So we're trying to do everything we can to be involved in the lives of young people there. Um, so that's just a quick plug for Covenant House. I have a little poetry workshop I do with Ray, who's serving with the kids today. Um, yeah, you can talk to me about that afterwards if you're interested. So <clears throat> love is active. And I really think there's something particular about motherly love that takes risks in a very specific way that we're gonna talk about today. And it looks like active resistance sometimes. I think it looks like a uh, sacrificial giving of yourself that we can emulate from healthy mothers and we can, whether we're man or woman, a mother, not a mother, never going to be a mother, this is really the heart of God that he's asking us to emulate. So before we transition to the passage, um, if you have a Bible or you want a Bible, we'll pass them out, but we're going to be in Matthew 20, verses 17 to 28. Before we do that, I want to just highlight one other just quick example of this active, resistant love that was in the, you probably missed it, but it was in the world news this past week. Um, There's this gal in Sweden named Tess who just instinctively, uh, there was a neo-Nazi parade that I guess was organized and she saw a bunch of neo-Nazis walking down her street and she instinctively said, oh no. And by herself stood in the middle of this parade and as witness just basically said, no, I resist this. And it struck me and actually brought me to tears because this is the kind of motherly heart that God has for us and he's asking us to carry for other people. It's active and it's not passive. And it takes risks. She took, she took her life in her hands to do that. So let's transition to the passage. Read this together with me, everybody. While Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves and said to them on the way, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? 
she said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called to them, called to them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew twenty seventeen to 28. It's, it's cute because we didn't actually plan to talk about this on Mother's Day, where we've been going through the book of Matthew for the last couple years, and this just happens to fall at the right, this happens to fall on Mother's Day, which is really sweet. So let's start back at the, at the top of this passage. The very first thing that happens is Jesus pulls his 12 disciples aside, and for the third time, he says to them, this is where we're going. I'm about to suffer a great deal. I'm going to die. And I am not only going to die, but I'm going to be terrorized. But then on the third day, I will be raised again. So at this point, Jesus has said this three times. And there is something very particular in Hebrew culture that is with the number three. So to them, this should have been clicking as sort of like a permanent fact in their mind. Like this is really going to happen. And Jesus is so kind. And he's so patient. Because he's with his closest friends. He's with the people that have been walking with him for the last three years. And he's being extremely vulnerable with them. It's interesting because just a couple chapters back, Jesus says, unless you become like children, you will never see the kingdom. And we talked about how children are unafraid. In fact, it's their identity to be vulnerable and to be weak and to be very honest with what they need. I see Jesus doing that at the beginning of this passage. He's with his friends and he's, he's telling them, this is going to happen. And he's basically saying, I need you, without saying, I need you, I think. And then what happens? What happens next? We have the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John. James and John and Peter are probably the closest, like the besties of Jesus. They're the ones that he called up uh, experience the transfiguration with him up on the mountain in chapter 17. They're the ones, it seems like he's sharing like a little bit more of his most intimate parts of life experience. 
And so the mother of James and John comes up to him. Now, we don't know that she's heard anything that Jesus just said because he had just talked to his 12 disciples privately about his impending suffering. But she runs up to him and makes this extremely bold request. She says, she brings her sons with him. It seems like I can imagine her like holding on to both of them almost by like the scruff of their neck, I don't know. And she brings them before Jesus and says, I have a favor, this is what I want from you. And Jesus turns to her and says, what do you want? And then in this phrase, it seems fairly innocuous, but in Jesus saying, what do you want? I hear his kindness and in his invitation for us to be completely honest and real with him. It's the kind of honesty that we see all throughout the Psalms, 150 songs in the Bible of ordinary people being extremely honest with God about what they want. So he says to her, what do you want? And he's present there, and he's with her. And she says, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. I love this, because what we see in a mother is actually very similar in my mind to what we see in the Canaanite woman just a couple chapters back. You remember Sue's taught this Sunday on the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus actually yelling and screaming and demanding that he heal and cast out the demon from her child. And she was so persistent that the disciples actually said, send her away. Like, who is this woman? Because she was from the land of Canaan. She was a Syrophoenician. She shouldn't have even been in Jesus' vicinity as a Jew. So she broke all kinds of cultural taboos, running up to a man and running up to a man of a culture that didn't even really talk to each other, if I understand correctly. And she was so persistent that at the end, Jesus says, yes, your child will be healed and your faith will be known in all of Israel. He makes her as an example to his own disciples and said, you are missing something to his own boys. This is what I'm looking for. And I see this woman, I see these various mothers through Matthew as kind of like a really interesting motif where God's trying to get at something. He's trying to get at something to us to imitate. Whether or not we're, we will ever be a mother, this is a reflection of who God is. This is his character. He's saying, yes, I want you to talk to me this way. I want you to trust me the way a mother who is like a mama bear for her children comes and says, this is what I need. It's really interesting. And in particular to me, I am um, a couple years back, this is actually an ongoing conversation I have with the Lord. I was asking him, what does it mean to be feminine in your eyes, God? Because I think the church is very confused about it, and I think our culture is equally confused, and I don't know who to believe. 
And at first I thought I was hearing wrong, but over and over he kept bringing me back to this Canaanite woman who was so persistent with Jesus and who, whom he honors even in the midst of some really tricky talk. I see the same, the same spirit in the mother of James and John here. It seems like the mother of James and John had maybe heard Jesus just a couple passages back where he has said, he's just told this story of the generous landowner who will be as generous as he wants to be. And no one can stop his generosity. And this generosity makes no sense to us, in fact, because he'll reward the ones who worked for two hours as much as he re will reward the ones who worked for 12 hours. And who are, we to who are we to question his generosity? It seems like she's also maybe heard of what's happened with the rich young ruler, the, the powerful um, young man. Because in that passage, in chapter 19, Jesus says, at the renewal of all things, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it seems to me, I could be wrong, it seems to me that this woman, this mother, is actually wanting to take Jesus at his word and demand that he makes good on it for her sons. And in this way, she's modeling what God has asked us to do before him. How many of you guys know that God loves it when we take his word and bring it back to him and say, you said this. I'm asking you to do this for me. I am trusting you that what you said is, is accurate. I'm trusting you. Just like a friend who... Um, remembers the things you say and then in conversation later comes back to you and says, hey, remember when you mentioned that um, God recently said your new name was Vibrant? Here's how I see this in you. Just like a friend who remembers the things you have said and brings it back up to you, God in our friendship with him wants us to bring back to mind the things he's already said. I believe in his word and in the prophetic word, in the here and now. God's given some of us words of encouragement that he wants us to remember and to keep praying for. And in that, I really feel like God has a special uh, blessing and encouragement for all the moms in the room today. And um, that encouragement, I'm just going to interrupt my time. That, it, that encouragement is from Luke chapter 1, um, where I believe it's Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed is she who believes what the Lord has said will come to fruition, will be fulfilled. So if you're a mom today, receive, receive that word that the Lord wants to encourage you that what you have heard, he will bring it to fruition. And on that same note, if you have a mom 
that you had a very confusing relationship with, if you had a mom that left, if you have a mom who was abusive or absent, I really believe that Jesus himself today is going to cover over some of that pain and start to bring a restoration and a, a healing to that pain. And he wants to recognize that it's real. I don't want to overlook that today. So Jesus, in his response to the mother, is so generous. Her, her question and or her, her asking is actually, it's so honest, but it's also so filled with naivete. She has no idea what she's asking. And she's so much like us. Most of the time when we come before God and we are pleading with him for something, we have no idea what we're asking for. But the sweet thing about God and his character that we see through Jesus is that he can tell the difference between immaturity and rebellion. And I think that's true through lots of areas of our life. And that he's patient with us, he's compassionate with us, and it's his, it's his gentleness and kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his, it's his own love and character that leads us towards changing and turning from things that aren't his highest and his best for us. So she says to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your kingdom. And then Jesus turns to James and John and says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink. Now he's just told them three times what that cup looks like. He's given them some pretty clear hints, more than hints. He's laid out almost a tablet, like the, the, the Ten Commandments. He's been very clear what the cup looks like. And James and John answer him with just pure bravado. And they say, we are able. I can imagine them sticking out their chests when they say it. They're so proud. They're so much like us. <laughs> they don't know what they're saying. But they want, they want to be able to live up to this ideal that they have for themselves, right? And so Jesus, in all of his kindness and generosity, instead of smacking them down, instead of laughing at them, instead of actually getting very angry that they were missing the entirety of what he had been saying prior. At this point, Jesus is probably, if I'm Jesus, I'm feeling a little lonely because my closest friends aren't hearing me say, I'm about to suffer so much. I'm about to go through so much pain and then his closest friends are asking to skip all of that and just receive basically the power and the glory. So he says to them in verse 23, 
you will indeed drink my cup. You will indeed drink my cup. And at this point, I don't know what James and John are thinking, but they're probably really excited. Maybe for a moment. But what Jesus is saying is he's sensing into the future of what's going to happen. Because if you, if you flash forward into the story, yeah, these guys will drink his cup. Literally, they'll drink the cup of the Passover, which is, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper. I think we have a slide of an old picture. Beautiful piece of art from the Last Supper. Yeah, literally they would drink his cup where he said, this is my body and this is my blood. But even more so, if we fast forward to Acts chapter 12, James is killed by Herod. And then we know from tradition that John if this is the same John the Apostle, he's exiled to a Greek island called Patmos where he, all by himself he ends up writing the book of Revelation from what we get from tradition. So yeah, these guys will suffer. They will drink this cup. And he says, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant. It's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And so Jesus, again, even in this moment of saying, you will join me in this suffering, he defers to the Father for the rest of it. Jesus, his character is so beautiful here, and I'm so in, in love with this passage. And I'm honestly really... I'm happy that as a community we're taking our time to go through Matthew because I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like I'm getting to know Jesus all over again. And if he is the image of the invisible God, if he is God with skin on, and what he does and says is how the invisible God actually is, man, this is a goldmine for us. Because this is the same Jesus who says, you will drink that cup. Who, in just a, f a short time, is going to invite those same friends into the Garden of Gethsemane with him to say, just sit with me and pray with me this night. And this is the night before he is taken to be crucified, and he's on his knees in agony before God, saying, if you would only let this cup pass from me, but not your will be done, mine. But not my will be done, your, let your will be done. And where's James and John in this situation? They're, just, they're totally conked out. They, they couldn't even stay awake through the night while Jesus is pleading with the Father to let this cup of agony pass. So the cup is agony, and the cup is suffering. The cup is a metaphoric pouring out of servanthood, pouring out of his very self for us. So then in chapter 
20, in these same verses, 24 to 28. Just to summarize, the rest of the crew is overhearing some of this conversation. I'm sure they were kind of wondering who this woman was coming to talk to Jesus, coming to ask this favor. And I'm sure they were eyeing whatever this discussion was. And so they overhear what James and John were asking, and they start to get jealous. And so Jesus puts the kibosh on that and basically tells a, a quick story about what power looks like. And he says to them, he gives them this truth that whoever wants to be first among you has to be last. Whoever wants to be first has to learn how to go the lowest. Whoever wants to be first has to learn how to serve. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So we have here from Jesus this sweet highlighting of a mother who seems to be a picture of how we're to approach God in prayer, but also how a mother protects and fights for her own children relentlessly in an active, not a passive love, but a very bold, risk-taking love. And then we have James and John saying, please let us share in your cup. Let us drink from this same cup of suffering so that we can also share in your glory. And then we have the rest of the disciples frustrated and a little jealous of whatever this conversation was happening. And then Jesus brings it back to the same truth that he had told them at the beginning that whoever wants to be first has to be last. And he invites them to imitate him in serving. And this, this service isn't just like a program or a thing that you do, but it actually looks like pouring yourself out for the sake of other people. To imitate Jesus in this way is to give your life for the sake of others. So as a, as a sidebar, as an illustration that I think connects, I haven't been able to stop reading about the brain lately. I'm so fascinated by the way God made our brains to function, to interact within our bodies. Part of this is spurred on by just curiosity. Also, I've had a number of uh, grandparents with Alzheimer's, so I'm, I'm really fascinated with the brain. And I've been reading um, a book by a famous neuroscientist who's actually at USC called Anthony Damasio. And he describes the uniqueness of neurons in our, in our brain and how neurons interact with the rest of our body. And there's something about neurons that fascinate me. Part, I partly think that I could 
study neurons for the rest of my life along with Jesus. The thing about neurons is that they are these extremely tiny entities that not only fuel our memory, but they charge the rest of our muscles to actually work. We wouldn't be able to move and talk and actually live in our bodies without neurons. And the, the interesting thing that researchers are now beginning to understand about neurons is that it seems like neurons exist for the rest of the body's cells. They don't divide. They charge and allow other cells to operate the way that, the way that they're meant to, to operate. They exist for the sake of all of the rest of the body. And without neurons doing their job, it's like the body can't move properly and the brain wouldn't function. And I just find it so interesting that Jesus is the perfect picture of the character of God as one who serves and gives his life for the sake of the world. And then even down at a cellular, very microscopic level, our own bodies work this way. That there's parts of our bodies consisting of neurons that actually imitate this. That all they do is serve other cells. And I think it relates also back to Genesis 12 stuff. It relates back to the call of Abraham where Jesus excuse me, where Yahweh, where God calls to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through your family, you will be a blessing to all families on earth. Because I am blessing you, if you will live in your identity, if you will live in your true identity, I will bless all families on earth. And so he's saying that same thing to us today. The same way that a mother in submission to God boldly loves and takes care of her children. The same way that he calls all of us, if we're going to imitate Jesus, to be unafraid to share in his suffering. That we'll be unafraid to actually look beyond ourselves, look beyond what we want today, like our own desires, and care for each other. And care for the ones that are the most vulnerable. That this is our true identity. And this is just the way Jesus is mirroring the Father. He's reflecting the invisible God to us to show us what God is like. Now, what does that really look like on a microscopic and a day-to-day -day level for us? I think we can get really wrapped up in um, this idea of being a servant. We, we can get wrapped up in the idea of serving others and feel like, ah, oh, I'm not really good at serving or... 
that doesn't come naturally to me, or I'm just, um, I've tried doing a service project before, and it wasn't really that fun. Whatever our hang-ups are with this word, I feel like God is challenging us to look at it in a new way. And I feel like God was bringing me back to two scripture passages, one that's in Zechariah 4, where in the midst of another vision, it basically says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And then in Luke 16.10, it says, if you'll be faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. So my encouragement to us today is, if there's an area in our lives where we're resisting serving, start small. Because these habits that we're forming is shaping our character for all of eternity. I've just started to run again. Um, I used to train for uh, marathons. There was a couple of years where I was doing it all the time. And then I stopped. And it's been really humbling to try to start again. It's been actually like very difficult because I go out to try to run a mile in like just starting small and I can barely do it. And I have this memory of when I could run 26 miles and all this shame hits me. And I start thinking, what's wrong with me? And all of this negative self-talk enters my mind. And I have, I've realized that for me, running is about something much more than just the physical exercise. It's for me learning to hear what is true from the Lord and to fight shame. And also, this is, I think, the biggest thing for me. Distance running for me is a way for me to learn how to break through the addiction to being comfortable. And I think in this passage in Matthew 20, Jesus is actually attacking this in some way. Because in, uh, at least in America today, maybe I can only speak for myself, but I have a, a deep addiction to being comfortable. And we really resist anything that is going to make us uncomfortable. Just recently, I found myself literally on my knees asking God to forgive me for how I've been, uh, (laughs) how do I say this? I think I had taken on this spirit of I'm too cool and I don't want to be looked at as uncool. So anything that God would ask me to do, whether it's praying for a stranger, doing something uncomfortable, taking a risk in the moment, I found myself resisting because I cared more about looking cool. And in this passage, it's like Jesus is saying, whoever wants to be first has to be last. And he's inviting us to drink the cup of discomfort in some, in some way, to share in the reality of his kingship. He's asking for his friends to share that with him. And I think that will look different for everyone. Honestly, comparably to what some uh, 
Christian believers in the Middle East are facing today, what God's asking us is very small. Because our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are losing their lives because they are unashamed to say they belong to the one. So this is very real. Going back to the origin of Mother's Day with that lovely poet suffragette Here's a line from the Battle Hymn of the Republic that I think is really interesting. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. So why don't you stand with me as we move into ministry time. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to come and highlight a couple of things for us. There's a lot going on in this passage. There's a lot of things you may have. There's a number of things God could be highlighting right now, and I want to make space for all of it. So if you wouldn't mind, you don't have to, but if, if you'd like to, in a posture, open your hands, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know that you're here, God. We're asking for you to come in greater measure and in this silence. Highlight what you're saying to us. So I'm going to ask three questions that might spark some other conversation between you and God, just you and him right now. The first one is Jesus is asking the same way he asked the mother, what do you want? What do you want? Are you able to pour out your heart to him the way the mother did? Second question is, are you willing to drink the cup of his agony to share with him in some way, whatever that might look like? The third question is, if the kingdom of God is defined by the servant king Jesus, how are we resisting serving in small ways or in big ways? Come on with your sweet spirit and speak to us. Pray that the power of God would open our ears where we're having trouble hearing from him right now.
God, forgive us for being impatient. Forgive me for being impatient. We will wait until we hear from you. Just sit there for a moment, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you're only hearing silence and ask God what he wants to say to you. <laughs> 